Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with Lisa Friedman, a reporter on the Climate Desk in Washington for the New York Times. She covers climate and environmental policy. Before joining the Times, she previously worked for Climate Wire and was bureau chief for the Oakland Tribune and the Los Angeles Daily News. She talks with us about covering climate change in the age of Trump and the role climate change will play in the 2020 elections. You've covered uh, climate and environmental policy issues from Washington for a long time. Uh, you, you've done it under at least two administrations. Talk to us just about the, some of the differences, some of the basic differences. Sure. I mean, uh, you know, these days I, I joke sometimes that, uh, that a lot of what I do is write obituaries for climate change regulation. Um, you know, the main difference, obviously, between, um, between the Obama administration and the Trump administration is, and this isn't going to be a surprise to any of your listeners, is that the, uh, you know, the Obama administration uh, felt very strongly that the science was clear and and showed that there is an urgent threat and in the absence of congressional action the administration was going to take regulatory action to reduce the emissions that are contributing to climate change um the trump administration by contrast you know um trump himself has has mocked the science of climate change um most cabinet secretaries have sort of veered between uh, comments like, I'm not a scientist, you know, I couldn't really say um, what, you know, what the human contribution to climate change is to, um, you know, just trying to avoid it. I think now that Scott Pruitt, who previously led the EPA, is gone, there are very few outright um, uh, climate denialists in the cabinet. Um, but, you know, this is not something that the, the Trump administration is or has wanted to be engaged on. And when it comes to regulations and rules that would either help reduce emissions or even help prepare communities um, for rising sea levels or other consequences of climate change, they've been very adamantly opposed um, out of concern that these 
entail regulations that will be burdensome to business. The deregulation that that you've been talking about, uh, obviously different from the Obama administration, but uh, it also sort of goes hand in glove, doesn't it, with uh, a isolationist philosophy that that we're we're becoming more and more isolationist in many aspects of foreign policy, but climate change being one of them. I mean, that's certainly the, the argument that was made when the president announced that the U.S. would withdraw from the Paris Agreement. Um, that was was uh, established in 2015 under the Obama administration. Now every country uh, is a party to it except the United States. Recently, you know, the last two holdouts over the past couple of years, uh, Nicaragua and Syria even joined. Um, so the U.S. really is um, alone on that. Um you know, the administration will argue that this is um, an America first, not an America alone policy, um, and that it is looking out for the interests of Americans in what they viewed as um, an unfair agreement. The Obama administration and much of the world saw that agreement as one in which all countries took the leap together. Um, yes, different countries of different size and levels of wealth were doing different levels of actions. The United States was agreeing to cut more emissions than China in the moment. Um, But the fact that the United States and China were both agreeing to the same legal structure, and for that matter, India and very small countries and very poor countries, Bangladesh and Malawi, you know, all working at the same time within the same legal framework to agree to do what they can to reach a common goal on reducing emissions um, was at the time an enormous step, and and soon the United States will be officially absent from that. I'm looking at what other countries are doing and how they're progressing with climate change and climate change inventions and innovations, and it seems like we are being we being the United States, are being left behind, whether it's in Europe or whether it's in China or what China's bringing to Africa. It seems like we're just sitting here by ourselves. I think that is a very good observation. I mean, the United States um, could, you know, is in danger of losing the clean energy race because it is not, um, you know, because it is not embracing a clean energy future. Um, And I think that you see in a lot of the presidential candidates on the Democratic side, um, you know, when they talk about climate change, they're not talking about it as, uh, uh, as a challenge or a, a, even, you know, even they're not, many of them are, are not talking about it as a moral imperative. They're talking about it as an economic opportunity. Um, and they're looking at the number of jobs that can be, that, can, that are to be had in, you know, everything from, from uh, solar roofs to electric vehicles. And they're looking at other countries and saying, you know, the United States should be much more of a player than it is. 
the Green New Deal or variations of that uh, really seem to be a topic in in and around the Iowa caucuses. Do you see that as projecting on into the 2020 Democratic primary? So if I can, I mean, I'd love to separate for a moment Green New Deal from, you know, climate change and where okay. climate change is going to be. <laughs> because I, I think, you know, both are really important. But I, I fear that... Um, They're conflated you know, whether, a lot. Exactly. And I think, you know, whether one is for or against the Green New Deal has become, um, in the shorthand of, you know, unfortunately, reporters like, like me, you know, uh, shorthand for do you support climate change? And it's not, or do you support dealing with climate change? And it's, it's very different things. I mean, the, the various candidates have very different approaches to how to deal with climate change. The Green New Deal is a very specific, very ambitious effort. Um, I'm, I'm sure your listeners, you know, know a lot of the history already, um, uh, you know, first initiated sure. by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, representative from New York, Ed Markey from um, Massachusetts, uh, Senator Sanders was an original proponent of the Green New Deal. And this is a not just an ambitious effort to rein in climate change, but to at the same time address economic problems uh, and inequality, uh, uh, offer health care for all, for example, um, uh, benefits and retirement, you know, to packages to to all all American workers, um, you know, it's a very broad sweeping package. Um, there are many ways to deal with climate change and different candidates have different ideas. Um, uh, you know, um, I think Pete Buttigieg uh, is among those who have talked uh, about a carbon, uh, putting a price on carbon. Um, right. uh, you know, um there's, uh, you know, Michael Bloomberg, who has uh, been working to close down coal plants and uh, and has a plan to move off of natural gas um, pretty quickly. You know, so there's a lot of ways to to get at this. Do I think it's going to be a big deal in the primary? Absolutely. It already is. I think the real question is whether it will remain, whether climate change will remain a big deal in the general election. It seems that many people will just look at how are we doing, how's our paycheck doing, how's our 401k doing, you know, how are our hearth and home kind of finances doing, and not look at the climate change issues and the eventual costs of not addressing those. Yeah, I mean... So traditionally, all right, look, reporters like me, every election cycle, we say, like, is this the year that climate change is going to matter? <laughs> um, <laughs> and every every time, you know, climate change winds up ranking, you know, somewhere between 8 and 15th in, in top, you know, in the issues that people vote on. Um, now, in the primary, what we are seeing is really amazing. I mean, every poll coming out puts climate change at, you know, in the top three issues of, of Democratic primary voters. Right up there so, with health care and... and uh, right up there with health care yeah. and the economy. Right. Um, and so for, you know, for a large portion of this of the electorate, this has become, 
a really important voting issue. You know, it may never outpace pocketbook issues, um, but I, I do think, uh, and maybe um, maybe this is just, you know, wishful thinking from someone who's been doing this too long, but I do think this might be the year that climate change matters. And it would matter even in the general, you think, it will carry over, that whoever is the Democratic candidate will force the issue? I do think so. And, you know, I think a couple things have been happening to put this in the spotlight. I mean, for one, you have, um, you know, you have clearly worsening conditions from wildfires in, you know, from California to Australia that are, that are, um, you know, evidence of the influence of climate change in the here and now. Um, and just to clarify, you know, no one is saying, and scientists are not saying that climate change causes wildfires, but there is clear evidence that climate change prolongs wildfire season and makes, you know, and, and, and makes them much worse. Um, you know, you have, and so on top of, of real world events like that, um, you have, you know, folks like Greta Thunberg, um, you know, holding protests and, and inspiring young people and, you know, and, and older people all over the world to do these Friday strikes. Um, it's become an issue on campuses all over the world. Um, and then you have President Trump himself, who I think inadvertently has put a spotlight on this issue. Um you know, the Paris Agreement didn't receive nearly the amount of attention uh, from the media as it did until he left it. <laughs> and so um, I think by, uh, you know, by taking to Twitter, by mocking climate change every time there's a cold snap, by, um, you know, um, uh, by making fun of, you know, of the Paris Agreement, um, I-, I think that President Trump himself has has brought a fair amount of attention inadvertently to to this issue as well. One last question, and that is, when you are reporting, uh, the the false equivalencies come up sometimes, not just with you, with any reporter uh, in areas, especially of climate change. How, how do you deal with those? Are you talking about, you know, how do I deal with, with climate skeptics? Or? Yeah, with, in climate areas. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's something that we think about and talk about all the time. I mean, um, and it varies from story to story. Um, so, sorry to give a complicated answer to every question, but um, sure. but I want to, you know, I, I do want to want to stress that, you know, um, there is a difference between climate denial and conservatives who are really concerned and unsure about the types of policies that Democrats and others have put forward to address climate change. Um, and so, you know, we, when it comes to the science, we are very clear. I mean, we, you know, we do sometimes quote people who are um, climate denialists, um, you know, in large part because they are 
either in or very close to the thinking of the administration and, you know, and, and it really can't be avoided. But when it comes to the science, we also either truth squad their, their statements or we will say um, whatever the specific uh, accurate thing is, you know, right. said so-and-so who does not, you know, accept the, uh, you know, the established science that finds that climate change is, is largely man-made. Right. Um, um, but the, on the policy, there are a range of, opin- of opinions, and we seek them out from, you know, from the oil industry, from the gas industry, from the solar industry, from environmentalists, and, you know, and, um, and business people, from folks across the political spectrum. And I think that's our obligation as, as reporters to understand you know, that, that while the science is the science and, you know, you can't equivocate on the science, um, you know, we are not taking a stand on, on the policy. We're here to report, you know, the, the, the ideas that people are putting forward and, and the debates around them. Lisa, our time's up. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so much for having me. Today, we've been talking with New York Times climate reporter Lisa Friedman about covering climate change during the Trump administration. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Blueberry, or at NPR One, Spectrum also is available through the NPR podcast directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's Hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.